Entry Studio production. The following may contain strong language and deals with adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. You went to the, I forget the name of the family. Um, you went to that house? I said, yes. Yes, I went there for directions. And um, she said, there is no baby. Over 50 years. In 1952, the Warrens founded the New England Society for Psychic Research, the oldest ghost hunting group in New England. They authored many books about the paranormal and their private investigations into various reports of paranormal activity. They claimed to have investigated well over 10,000 cases during their career. The Warrens were among the first investigators in the Amityville haunting. According to the Warrens, the NESPR used a variety of individuals, including medical doctors, researchers, police officers, nurses, college students, and members of the clergy in its investigations. Dozens of films have been inspired by the stories of the hauntings popularized by the Warrens, including television series and documentaries, and that also includes several films in the Amityville Horror series and the films that are known as The Conjuring Universe. But after 50 years of paranormal activity and discoveries, where did all of the items go? Even though Ed passed away August 23, 2006, and Lorraine passed April 18, 2019, the things that they have left for us to rediscover all over again are in abundance. But the Mountain Mysteries episode on Lorraine Warren isn't so much about the cases as it is getting to know her and who she was as an individual and through her we also get to know Ed. These are the Mountain Mysteries Episode 11 In the Shadows The Mountain Mystery of Lorraine Warren He sat on the edge of the bed with the father, the mother, the daughter and the dog. He commanded in the name of Jesus Christ for what was there to reveal itself so the clergy could see this the bed went up in the air with all of them on it and your draws were coming out faster than you could ever imagine I will be the last to fall Shed a tear for them to see And I won't have your name to call I will be the last to fall There are over 1.9 billion square acres in the United States alone and 24% of those are mountainous. The secrets that these regions hold are enormous. Reports of mysterious creatures, strange sightings and sounds, ghosts and murders, 
and those who have seemingly vanished. There are questions that need asking and answers worth finding. These are the Mountain Mysteries. Here's Chris Sloan. There are things that go bump in the night. Things that may cause a fright. Things that may cause a stir. That go by you in a blur. Oh, well, these are just ghost stories. Right? I mean, that's all they are. Or is it? After 50 years of conducting over 10,000 paranormal investigations, there's got to be a place where they store what they found. Physical objects that, by the ordinary naked eye, have nothing attached to them. But let's look a little deeper, and we may find, well, the stuff that nightmares are made of. Here's Lorraine talking about the world-famous Occult Museum of the Warrens. The museum um, houses some of the most outstanding evidence from haunting phenomena from all over the world, from Africa to Japan to the islands, all over the world. There are things uh, that are in there, each with their own story, each with their own case history. And um, we do tours of it. There's, there's high security on this building. And for, for well, for, for theft or for fire or lightning or anything. And um, there are things there there's that are bewitched there are things there from demonic activity um there are uh, just tonight i had to go out there because i had a carpenter who was going to be doing something on ed's office one of ed's there's more than one of ed's offices uh, on the property and um so i happened to be out there and he says i don't i'm afraid to look at these things I said, I don't know what I can do if you're working here. I said, you can close the door and shed the office and while you're working. And, um, but there, he was talking about, he said, I never seen glass or metal catch fire. I said, well, you've never been in the house where that was. And that was, that was a home where uh, I can't even begin to tell you the types of things that would happen then, but fireballs would fly around the house and and take pictures, family pictures, and um, they would burn, but you you never see. A, the, the photograph didn't. The glass was all burnt and, and the metal. And in that particular home, I touched on that, um, I remember one night, we worked on that case for three months, and uh, one night, we were there, and we walked in, and the clergy were there at the time. They had got there just before we did. We had been involved in the case for a while. 
And um, so the clergy came over to Ed and said, Ed, it's terrible tonight. So we walked down the hall to the master bedroom. The mother, the father, the daughter, and the family dog were all on the bed. The young boy, 15 years old, was in a sleeping bag on the floor. They were that terrified. So I said to the boy, he said, I want you to go in your room where the twin beds are, right? Right, this next bedroom down. And, and honey, he says, you, you lay down on the other one with him. Don't let him come in here. Ed sat on the bed. He sat on the edge of the bed with the father, the mother, the daughter, and the dog. He commanded in the name of Jesus Christ for what was there to reveal itself so the clergy could see this. The bed went up in the air with all of them on it and fewer draws were coming out faster than you could ever imagine. Now, I don't know what's going on in there, but I can hear the commotion. I opened my eyes and I looked and that boy that was lying down on the bed next to me was about nine inches off the mattress. He was levitating. Ed then commanded in the name of Jesus Christ again. He went like somebody fired him out of a gun right on the casing of the door and, and got hurt. As that night went on, that that evening went on, it was all night session, I stayed right where I was. There was just too much commotion, so I stayed. Every room in this house had carpeting, and I heard metal, metal, heavy, something heavy metal hit a wood floor. There were no wood floors. Under the carpeting, I guess there were base flooring. So I, I thought, I opened my eyes. I watched two huge sliding doors dematerialize in front of me. Then what happened was I stayed there. I just stayed there and prayed. I stayed there and prayed. Because remember, I mean, if the molecular structure of these doors can break down to that extent and dematerialize, so can I. So I stayed there and said my prayers. And then I called Ed. And the clergyman said, everything is all right, Lorraine. Stay where you are. Everything is all right. He told the man at the house to go downstairs in the family room to get something. The doors that dematerialized where I was were on the stairs going down to the lower level of this house. Now, it's things like that, the evidence of cases like that, the Raggedy uh, case that has tremendous, horrible history, and all, all things like that. That is what is in that museum. Many of us have come to know the Raggedy Ann doll 
as Annabelle. Now, wasn't that used at some point in connection to a Ouija board? Um, yes, there was a Ouija board involved with it. There were two nurses, two registered nurses, and they department, and one of them was engaged to be married. And she, the one girl collected all kinds of raggedy and andy things. And with, with that, um, uh, you know, she was given by her mother for Christmas, she was given this doll. And they treated the doll like it was a human being. They gave tremendous recognition to it and they think they, they thought they seen the doll move on its own. Maybe it did. And so then when they went to the hospital, one of the nurses claimed to be a psychic. So they said, let's hold seances to see if we can get anything. So they did a series of seances in this house, and they did the Ouija board, the whole thing. Um, it, they, through this, they claim that a little girl by the name of Annabelle was killed by a car right in the area where this apartment complex was now built. So they now, oh, now this is the spirit of a little girl. They're buying the jewelry. They're buying everything. They take it in the car with them. Everything. One night, or one, uh, one Saturday, I should say, one Saturday, um, the fiancé of the one nurse was there. And the girls were kneading up the house, doing the things that had to be done. And... Um, he fell asleep, the, uh, the fiancé fell asleep on the couch waiting for that one girl um, watching a ball game. And he woke with a start. He was so against what these girls were doing, so against it. And um, so he woke with a start. He went over, he picked up the doll by the arm and threw it saying, you're nothing but a rag doll. You couldn't hurt anybody. He dreamt that the doll was strangling him. With, with this, three claw marks came right through the shirt that he was wearing. The blood came right through the T-shirt that he had on. And that's when we were brought in on the case with an Episcopal priest to have this home exercised. I want to tell you, it took months, months of counseling for these three intelligent, well-educated young people to actually get their life back. Mrs. Warren, what year did this happen in? I think it was about 76. And, but the things that happened to the doll since have been bad. That's why it is now in a glass case. It's um, it done something to a police officer who we were working, I was working on the murder of a child, psychically working with him mm-hmm. on the murder of a little girl. And um, he wanted to see these things down there and he challenged the doll, that man, after I forget how many years he was a detective, um, left that position and moved to California. 
and a group of students came for the museum from a college. They all came on a bus, but this one guy came on a motorcycle with a girl. And Ed had them all seated. They, they couldn't touch nothing. Nobody can touch any of this stuff. He was talking about the doll. And this, this guy, thinking he was a wise guy, went up and tapped on the glass and said, if you really can put claw marks on people, scratch my arm. Ed told him, you know, it's in your best interest, really, if you leave. It really is in mm. your best interest if you leave. On the way home, that boy was killed. The girl that was hospitalized for a long, long time, he hit a tree with the motorcycle, and the girl told Ed that he had been laughing about that doll, making fun of it. It isn't the doll. It's what's embedded within the molecular structure of the doll. So it's things like that that are in that museum. A priest came here one day to show us his brand new car and take us for a ride in his brand new car. And he said, Ed, he said, if I go in and see that museum, Ed said, I'll go in with you. And he went in with him. And the doll wasn't in a glass case yet. And he said, Ed, he said, God is more powerful than the devil. And he picked the doll up. And Ed said, God is more powerful than the devil, but no man is, whether he's priest or not priest. And that car, brand new car, went out of control. He was almost killed. So it's, the things that are there are real. Make believe things at all, they're real. They've been from real cases all over. The place is constantly being blessed. And my, my thing where we're concerned is I have no recognition at all. None, no recognition of any sort to, to the things that are there. There's things all over in bad, 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 bad cases. There's an idol in there uh, that was used by Satanists and they were doing sacrifices, and, God, I don't even like to get into some of these things. It's bad because I was, I was very badly injured as a result of it. Actually, I was picked up and thrown 25 feet through the air in an atonic state for a number of days. So, oh, yes, the things are real that are there. Our faith is our strength. That that is our strength regarding the work that we do and the work that I am still doing. I did not know that I could continue the work after Ed's passing. I didn't know if I could do that. And um, I knew that I had my son-in-law. I knew our, my son-in-law had been working with us for many, many years and would help me all the way. But I felt that I could not, um, who, for one thing, who was I to think that I could carry on a legacy like my husband left? Who was I to think I could do that? 
So what happened was this one night, it was 13 days after it passed. I'm sitting on my back deck right now, right where I was sitting when I got this phone call that came in. There's a script writer in California that had written a script on our life. He called me. That was not released. I, I, I haven't had that released. He phoned and said to me, Lorraine, you don't know how bad I feel. He said, for, for a man who was so brilliant where his work was concerned, he had such a phenomenal sense of laughter and glee. Yes, he did. I said he had phenomenal sense. I said, you know what, Teddy? I always knew when Ed was at peace and Ed was happy if I heard him whistle. I said his work was, you know, most of it was on the dark side. And I said, something just dropped. I don't know what it was. But it's not too much that can drop. <laughs> no, I don't know what it was that dropped. Anyway, I said I always knew when he was at peace and he was happy if I heard him um, if I heard him whistle. And he said, "Really?" I said, "Yes." And so now the next morning was just two weeks after his passing, exactly two weeks. I went to mass and communion for him. And then I went to his gravesite. I said to him, standing there, I said, honey, I know what we'd be doing if you were here. You would wake up first, always. You always woke up first. You would say, get up, get dressed. We're going to our favorite place for breakfast and it's my tree. I said to him at the grave, at his grave, honey, we're going to our favorite place for breakfast this morning, and it's my tree. And on the way back, I will bring the daisies. Daisies are our flower. Where his, where his burial site is. It's a fam I bought a family burial site, and all it's all daisies. So I went, I went to this place where we were going, you know, where we always went. And uh, when I went in to, with a new little waitress and um, I told her I wanted this special table because it was the table we always sat at. And um, when I sat, sat down and she left the two menus and when she came back, I said, it's only me eating. I said, if my husband were here, um, this is where we'd be celebrating his breakfast this morning. But I lost my husband two weeks ago. I said, oh my God, how sad. And then she came back and she said, how beautiful. I don't know why she said that. So a little while, um, one of the owners who I did not know came out and she said to me, are you Mrs. Warren? I said, yes. 
she says, we have a problem here. I says, I never knew of a problem here. Is there anything I can help you with? She says, this is the first day that the problem is here. And I said, well, what is the problem? When the dishwasher came in this morning, he called me and said he was leaving because he was terrified. And I said, what time did he come in? And he said, five o'clock. And I said, well, what, what was he afraid of? He heard whistling. I said, may I speak to him? She says, you want to speak to him? I says, I'd like to speak to him. I can read his aura and I would know if he was telling the truth. So anyway, he's, he's speaking to me and I said, tell me exactly what you heard, sir. And he said, I heard a real man whistle. I said, one time, no, twice. I said, I guess Ed got here before I did. He always teased me about being late. That's where I felt when that happened, I knew two things. I knew he was at peace and I knew he was happy. Mrs. Warren, I have a question from the time that you were 16 until present. Would you change anything? Not one absolute thing would I change. Not one thing. I had a beautiful family. I had beautiful parents. I still have beautiful sister and brother. I have, I've lost my husband. I have my daughter. I have my granddaughter, my grandson, and I have four great grandchildren. Now I do have one other question. And from the time that, you know, you said that you had your first experience. Nobody ever asked me that question. You are the first person ever to ask that question. If I had my life to do over, would I do, would I do what I'm doing? Yes. Yes, because I feel, I feel rewarded. I'm still doing the work. Yes. I'm still doing the investigation. I'm dealing with a bad case in England, and I'm trying to help without actually, you know, flying over there. I'm trying very hard to help. But, yes, but there's no, there's nothing that I would change. One other question, and this may be a first, too. I don't know, but from the time that you had your first experience at the age of about nine, when you were in Catholic school, Mm-hmm. Until present, if you had to sum it up, what would you say has been one of the biggest things that you've learned about life? The fact that God created everything, and I think our our closeness with the Lord, um. Would I, if I, if I didn't lead this life, would I have the same closeness with the Lord that I have now? Although I was brought up that way, as I became an adult, would that, would that be 
way I would, you know, continue. And I, I think, I mean, there's, I can, I could go on and on. I, it's very, very satisfying to be able to help people. Well, maybe now you can say that you honestly feel like you know Ed and Lorraine weren't a little bit better than before. Certainly Lorraine. Between part one and part two, we've learned a lot of things about this remarkable couple. And these remarkable people as individuals. Ed Warren. Well, he had the motivation of discovering more about the supernatural due to the fact of his own childhood experiences. And Lorraine. Well... They were a part of each other. I hope you enjoyed this as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. Please like and rate The Mountain Mysteries at five stars. And remember, you can support us on Patreon or you can leave us a one-time tip. Or simply, maybe what's even more important is just share it. Let people know about The Mountain Mysteries. And remember now to join us on our new website. www.themountainmysteriespodcast.com we just launched the page Monday, and we'd love to hear your feedback. I'm Chris Lowe for The Mountain Mysteries, and until next time, stay mysterious. If you enjoy The Mountain Mysteries, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. That helps us so much. You can also help support The Mountain Mysteries by visiting our sponsors, whose links are below, or by donating at Patreon or the PayPal link shown in the notes. Patreon subscribers will receive early commercial-free episodes and more. Studio Production.